Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Thank you for standing by. Welcome to the Northland Power Conference call to discuss 2020 first quarter results. During the presentation, all participants will be in a listen-only mode. Afterwards, we will conduct a question and answer session. At that time, if you have a question, please press star 1 on your telephone. If at any time during the conference you need to reach an operator, please press star 0. As a reminder, this conference is being recorded Thursday, May 14, 2020 at 10 a.m. Conducting this call for Northland Power are Mike Crawley, President and Chief Executive Officer, Pauline Almanchandani, Chief Financial Officer, and Wasim Khalil, Senior Director of Investor Relations and Strategy. Before we begin, Northland's management has asked me to remind listeners that all figures presented are in Canadian dollars and to caution that certain information presented and responses to questions may contain forward-looking statements that include assumptions and are subject to various risks. Actual results may differ materially from management's ex expected or forecasted results. Please read all forward-looking statement, statement sections in yesterday's news release announcing Northland Power's results and be guided by its contents in making investment decisions or recommendations. The release is available at www.northlandpower.com. I will now turn the call over to Mike Crawley. Please go ahead. Thank you, Lisa, and good morning, everyone. We also have David Pavel, our Executive Vice President of Development, joining the call this morning as well. So thanks to everybody for joining us today. The mo this morning we will review our first quarter 2020 financial and operating results. It has certainly been a busy and challenging quarter in light of the events surrounding COVID-19 and its implications, not only for our company, but of course for everyone globally. Before I begin, I want to take a moment to welcome Pauline Alim Chandani, our new Chief Financial Officer. This is Pauline's first call as CFO since joining Northland on April 13th. We are excited to work with Pauline, who comes from a fast-growing, complex development company and has deep experience in corporate finance, strategy, capital allocation, project development finance, in addition to financial reporting, treasury, and tax. I think I got all of that, Pauline. <laughs> anyway, she, she is a, an excellent find, and uh, everybody at Northland uh, is very happy that, uh, that she's joining the company. Also joining us on the call for one last time is Paul Bradley, our retiring CFO, who you all know well, of course. Paul and I have crossed paths in many ways in the Ontario power sector over the years. I always enjoyed dealing with him, and it is one of the high points of my career that I was able to work side-by-side side with him over the last five years. Those on the call uh, know of Paul's deep knowledge of the power sector and his success, of course, with Northland. But you may not know what a great mentor he has been to so many people at the company. Paul, I wish you the best in what looks like quite a busy retirement. I also want to thank you for staying on until today to support with the transition. Now turning to the quarter, we're off to a very good start in 2020. I will provide a high-level overview of our first quarter results and Pauline will provide a more detailed look into the financials later in the call. 
we once again delivered very strong financial results, achieving healthy growth in both adjusted EBITDA and free cash flow per share compared to the same period a year ago. Operationally, our teams worked tirelessly to ensure that our facilities continue to operate safely and efficiently despite the events related to the COVID-19 pandemic. All our operating facilities continue to operate as expected and preventative measures remain in place in accordance with Northland's crisis response plan and applicable government directives. Most of Northland's revenue is under long-term contracts. Nevertheless, the situation remains dynamic and we continue to track developments very closely and may take further actions as may be required. Turning to our financial results for the first quarter, we reported adjusted EBITDA of approximately $421 million compared to $294 million in the same period in 2019, representing a 43% increase year over year. Our free cash, free cash flow per share in the first quarter was $1.10 per share compared to $0.79 cents per share in 2019, representing an increase of 39% year over year. I'd like to point out that significant increases in adjusted EBITDA and free cash flow are largely due to stronger operating results from our offshore wind farms as well as contributions from Deutsche Bucht, partially offset by greater periods of unpaid curtailment due to negative pricing at Nord C1 and Deutsche Bucht. While the majority of our offshore wind revenues are contracted under long-term agreements, we do have some limited exposure to the wholesale market of electricity. If low market prices persist for an extended period, Northland's revenues will be negatively affected. We saw some impact of this in Q1 already, as I said, at Nord C1 and Deutsche Boot. Strategically, we delivered on several initiatives during the quarter that will position us for further growth. We successfully closed the acquisition of our first electricity distribution utility, EBSA, in early January, and our first quarter results incorporate contributions from EBSA and were in line with our expectations. At Deutsche Bucht, we achieved a significant milestone on March 31st, where all of the terms required to satisfy the project lenders for term conversion were achieved, and we officially commissioned the 252-megawatt facility. This officially ends the construction of the project. As announced in early March, the decision was made to forgo the installation of the two monobucket foundation turbines and leave the project to be comprised of the 31 monopile foundation turbines. This decision allowed us to move the project to commercial operations on March 31, 2020. This is our third European offshore wind project to be completed in the North Sea, in addition to Gemini and North Sea 1. The three projects have a combined gross capacity of nearly 1.2 gigawatts, or approximately 900 megawatts net, to Northland, and speak to Northland's ability to tr and track record to deliver large, complex projects. Deutsche Bucht will allow us to meet the power needs of approximately 300,000 households, and the renewable energy produced will save an estimated 700,000 tons of greenhouse gas emissions per year. At La Lucha, construction activities continue and the project remains on track for completion in the second half of 2020. However, completion timing may be affected by availability of construction subcontractors should restrictions under COVID-19 persist for an extended period of time. At this point, activities continue and as I said, we are still expecting completion later this year. As part of our development strategy in Mexico and to facilitate securing offtake agreements for La Lucha, we completed the acquisition of a qualified supplier in Mexico, we call NP Energia. NP Energia will 
which holds a qualified supplier license, will enable Northland to operate in the electricity sector in Mexico by contracting our generation facilities, including La Lucha, to commercial and industrial off-takers. As we have highlighted previously, Northland owns 100% of La Lucha and is our first project to be underpinned by commercial and industrial off-take. We expect to secure off-take agreements for the project closer to project completion. Now, turning to our development activities, we continue to expand our pipeline activity by establishing several early-stage development projects in new jurisdictions. We announced the acquisition of Nikoon in March, an offshore wind project off the coast of British Columbia. We also completed the acquisition of Dado Ocean, an offshore wind development company in South Korea with identified development potential of approximately one gigawatt. Both of these projects are early stage development opportunities that will expand our offshore wind portfolio and will further diversify our portfolio. We expect to develop these projects in the coming years. At our high-long offshore wind project in Taiwan, work continues on securing power purchase agreements for the remaining 744 megawatt allocation secured under an auction process and expect to sign the PPAs in 2020. As we continue to take advantage of a global increase in demand for renewable energy projects, we will continue to leverage our competitive advantages in order to meet our ambitious growth plans. I will now turn the call over to Pauline for a more detailed view, review of our financial results. Thank you, Mike, and good morning, everyone. I'm very happy to be here on my first quarterly conference call as Chief Financial Officer. Last night, Northen released operating and financial results for the first quarter of 2020. These results showcase the continued strength and resilience of our business despite the ongoing implications of COVID-19. We generated adjusted EBITDA of $421 million in the first quarter, which was an increase of $127 million, or 43%, from a year ago. The primary driver behind this increase was strong operational performance at our offshore wind farms, where we saw a combined increase in adjusted EBITDA from Gemini and North Sea One of approximately $33 million, and the additional contributions from DBU, which contributed approximately $85 million of pre-completion revenues in the quarter. Also contributing to the strong performance in adjusted EBITDA was the addition of financial contribution from EBSA. As noted earlier, we closed on EBSA on January 14th, and as a result, $21 million in adjusted EBITDA was recorded in the quarter. These strong results were slightly offset by lower resources at our onshore renewable facilities and a higher level of development spend, primarily related to our high-long offshore wind project. With respect to free cash flow, Northland generated a total of $211 million in the first quarter. This represents an increase of 49% or $70 million from the prior year. The increase in quarterly cash flow is attributable to a $48 million increase in overall earnings resulting from the stronger performance in our offshore wind segment, as Mike mentioned earlier. As Mike also mentioned, we declared commercial operations at DBU at the end of March. The project earned pre-completion revenues until achieving financial completion. At this time, any net pre-completion revenues in excess of the amount required to service debt was recognized as free cash flow. This amounted to $93 million in the quarter. The total amount of contribution from DBU for 2020 is expected to be in line with guidance released in February, which for clarity included this one-time amount and, include, and assumes that we are successful 
and making only partial year debt repayments in 2020. These higher contributions were partially offset by a $37 million increase in scheduled principal repayments, primarily related to DBU and the first principal debt repayment at Grand Bend. Another offset was a $28 million increase in cash tax expense, primarily due to the addition of EBSA, as well as higher cash taxes at our offshore wind facilities, including Gemini, which became fully taxable in 2020. Lastly, as we stated in our guidance, we expect higher development costs in 2020 as we pursue growth opportunities. Development costs, including overhead, accounted for approximately $0.06 cents of free cash flow per share in the quarter. Within guidance, our development budget for 2020 currently remains unchanged. These figures translated to a free cash flow per share of $1.10 for the first quarter, representing an increase of 39% compared to the prior year. This level of cash flow resulted in a rolling four-quarter free cash flow payout ratio calculated on a cash dividend basis of 58% compared to 64% last year. With respect to our financing activities, on May 11th, we successfully completed the early redemption of our 4.75% Series C convertible debentures originally due June 30th. Of the $148.8 million of principal outstanding, $147 million worth of debentures were converted into approximately 6.8 million shares with the remaining nominal amount redeemed in cash. We ended the quarter with over $420 million of cash and liquidity available, comprised of $84 million of cash on hand and $339 million of liquidity under our revolver. As we have noted earlier, our business strategy remains focused on enabling us to meet our commitment to our shareholders despite the implications of COVID-19. The strength of our balance sheet and stability of our cash flows, which are underpinned by long-term revenue contracts, positions us to weather the current environment. While we had a strong quarter, our 2020 guidance remains unchanged at this time. We continue to expect adjusted EBITDA in the range of $1.1 billion to $1.2 billion and expect free cash flow per share to be in the range of $1.70 to $2.05 per share. I want to take a moment, however, to expand on DBU debt assumptions that are included within our guidance. With the completion of construction and commercial operations being achieved, we are working to restructure the project's 1.47 billion euro senior debt and hope to have this completed by the end of the year. For 2020, the project will have its first semi-annual debt repayment in June for approximately 46 million euros, but we expect to defer the second payment scheduled for December into 2021 with the completion of the restructuring. The payment in June has been evenly amortized within free cash flow between Q1 and Q2 in the amount of approximately $0.18 cents per share per quarter. The deferral of the second payment is embedded within our guidance assumption. Prior to concluding my comments, I would like to thank Paul Bradley for his guidance during my transition period. I am excited to be part of Northland and am inheriting a strong team and infrastructure due to Paul's leadership. Paul, thank you. I wish you the best of luck in your retirement and look forward to staying in touch with you for a long time to come. With that, I will now turn the call back over to Mike for his concluding comments. Thank you, Pauline. In closing, I want to highlight what that while our primary focus during these times is the health and safety of our employees and all stakeholders, we also feel a great sense of responsibility to continue delivering electricity under our long-term offtake agreements and concessions. 
Many of Northland's facilities are deemed critical infrastructure. For example, in Northern Europe, our offshore wind projects provide over one gigawatt of capacity. In Saskatchewan, our power plants generate a significant portion of that province's energy, and EBSA the sole, is a sole electricity distributor in Columbia's Boyaca region. Our efforts are focused on ensuring our facilities continue to operate at high levels of availability, delivering the essential power that our offtake counterparties rely on and need. We have ample liquidity, a strong balance sheet, and given the relative stability of our revenues and free cash flow profile, we're in a good position to weather the current environment. Lastly, by leveraging our financial flexibility, extensive development expertise, and knowledge, we will look to identify and develop future opportunities to further expand our global development footprint and enhance Northland's growth. Now that concludes my prepared remarks. We'd now be prepared to take your questions. Lisa, please open the queue for questions. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to register a question, please press star 1 on your telephone. If your question has been answered and you would like to withdraw your registration, please press the pound key. If you are using a speakerphone, please lift your handset before entering your question. Your first question comes on the line of Sean Stewart with PD Securities. Thank you. Good morning. Uh, congratulations to both Pauline and Paul. Um, a few questions on offshore wind to start with. Uh, I know you guys don't provide quarterly long-term average generation guidance, but can you give us a sense of how Q1 North Sea wind conditions would have compared to normal expectations for the quarter? Uh, the, 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 the wind speeds and uh, would have been uh, above, uh, above a P50, so above expectations. Any order of magnitude you can provide, Mike? Materially above? Got it. <laughs> um, and, and operating costs for the wind seg offshore wind segment were up just 3 million year over year, despite the inclusion of debut. But, and that could be a function, I guess, of the pre-completion accounting. Would you consider Q1 margins for offshore wind as representative of what might be normal in, in the first quarter? Yeah, there was nothing out of out of the ordinary in the first quarter in that respect, so that would be a that'd be a fair assumption, Sean. Okay. And, and last question for me for now. Uh the the wind curtailments in Europe and the lower wholesale prices for Gemini, you you touched on those uh, items for Q1. Any sense of how that's transitioned into Q2 in terms of incremental headwinds that you might see this quarter? All right, something we're tracking closely, uh, as, as you can imagine. So, uh, as you know, Germany, Netherlands, and most of uh, northern and western Europe is is now gradually opening up. So we're kind of tracking uh, what happens with uh, demand as as the factories and uh, and offices uh, start to open up uh, this month. So uh, a bit too soon to kind of make a, a forecast on it, but but something we're watching uh, watching closely, in particular this month. Okay, thanks, Mike. I'll get back in the queue. Okay. Your next question comes from online of David Guzzata with Raymond James. Great, thanks. Uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, my first question here on the, the acquisition of Energia in Mexico. I'm just wondering um, if you have any details on how that qualified supplier license works, and, and was there a, a pre-existing business there, uh, or is it, was it primarily just that license? 
And, and maybe finally, uh, do, you, do you see it bringing you any other opportunities? Yeah, good, good question. So the, the, the way the electricity uh, system is, is structured in, in Mexico, which is relatively new in, in the last uh, three or four years when the restructuring took place, is that uh, a generator cannot sell directly uh, to load or to a, to a customer. Uh, you need to sell through a qualified supplier. Uh, so as we were planning out our, our Mexican growth strategy, we had a couple of options. We could either uh, sleeve it or, or sell through uh, a, another qualified supplier, uh, create our own qualified supplier, or uh, acquire or partner with an existing qualified supplier. So what we ended up, when we looked at all those different options, we decided that uh, there was a lot of value for us in, in actually controlling a qualified supplier and, and getting some of the rents on the uh, on the, the transactions and, and also using it to help inform our development activities going forward because that, that would identify where uh, load customers are looking for both generation and also or energy and capacity but also renewable energy attributes. So based on that uh, we acquired uh, a company Rodinia, which was in the process of securing their qualified supplier license, uh, and we didn't close until after the license had been secured and approved. Uh, and then we are working with that team, that core team, which we uh, did a lot of diligence on and uh, have a lot of confidence in uh, to build out uh, a qualified supplier. So it, they had, they had uh, secured their license, but they had not yet be begun operations. Uh, and uh, at that point that we stepped in and acquired them. So okay, great. in That's terms cool. of your second question, David, sorry, in terms of your second question, David, it certainly allows us to have a path to, to market uh, our power from La Lucha, but also from other facilities uh, that we hope to develop and uh, construct in Mexico. Um, and, uh, and that's the main purpose of, uh, of that platform uh, for us. But it will also, as, as the, uh, the team understands better where uh, load is and where constraints are in the Mexico uh, grid allow us to become better informed developers as well going forward. Okay, great. Thank you very much. That's good color. And then maybe just uh, one other question. I'm, I'm just curious that, you know, in the, in the current environment, um, maybe are there any uh, developers or projects out there that, that could be distressed and do you see any opportunities arising from the current situation? Uh, just given your strong balance sheet? Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, so, uh, I mean, D David Pavel's on the line as a head of development, and he's, uh, I'll, I'll turn it over to him in a second to add any, any more detail on it, but he is certainly very aware of kind of that some opportunities, as you described, may exist, and uh, we're attuned to it, and all of the regional development offices are looking uh, for such uh, such opportunities. Uh, having said that, uh, there is still, despite everything, uh, ample uh, capital available for the uh, renewable uh, energy sector, whether it's uh, certainly at the late stage of, of development of projects, but, uh, but there is also capital available for earlier stage projects as well. So we're keeping an eye open for those opportunities, uh, and uh, we have been able to move uh, recently on a, a couple of transactions that, that, in our view, probably were less competitive than they would have been otherwise. Uh, and that's also a function of just uh, 
those not being familiar with an, an asset that uh, needs to is, is transacting that them not being able to do diligence, for example, uh, on the site. So there are some opportunities like that that have come up. But uh, David, anything anything you'd add to that for on David's uh, no. question? Yeah. Yes, thanks, Mike. Uh, I think, David, the only thing I'd add to that is um, it is actually taking a little bit of time for those things to work through. As you imagine, they don't just suddenly happen on, on day one of, of COVID-19 happening. So we're starting to see a, a, a few more opportunities coming through. As Mike says, we have explored some already. Um, and uh, I think it's something that, that, or, sorry, something that the team is continuing to track. Uh, and we think we'll see things materializing over the, uh, over the coming months. Great, thank you. Appreciate those comments, and uh, congrats to Paul on the retirement, and, and welcome to Pauline. Thank you. Our next question comes from Nelson Ng with RBC Capital Markets. Great, thanks. Good morning, everyone. Uh, just a few follow-up questions uh, from Sean and uh, David. Um, in terms of the Mexican uh, acquisition of uh, Energia, uh, is that business um, – do you do you expect to see that team buy and sell wholesale uh, power from La Lucha and potentially other generators um, and to sell to other commercial industrial customers? So is, is this a standalone business, uh, or do you anticipate that this is a standalone business where, like Northland La Lucha project, is just one of many generators kind of feeding power into uh, this business? Uh, good questions. I mean, to, to be clear, the, 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 the mandate and the purpose of NP Energia is to facilitate our uh, investments in uh, renewable power facilities in Mexico. That's the, the, the purpose of it. Uh, in order to, to do that, I'll give you one example. On, on La Lucha, I mean, it's a solar project. Uh, so uh, we can sell the energy, we can sell the RECs, but the customer most customers, industrial customers, would also uh, be looking for a 724 block of power and for capacity as well, which they, they need to, to procure in the market. So uh, the team would be certainly marketing the energy in the RECs from La Lucha under, under contracts to end users, uh, but they would also be uh, supplementing that with capacity uh, and uh, other blocks of power that they'd secure in the market so they can put together a more attractive uh, Package, I guess, for for a lo for a load customer. So it it enhances okay. the the value of what we're selling from our uh, renewable energy facility. So it, it it facilitates us doing La Lucha, but also will hopefully facilitate us doing more projects uh, in that regard as we move forward. And and perhaps at some point in the future, through batteries, uh, we would be able to uh, uh, have our own capacity right in the market, but uh, that we could we could sell ourselves. But that's that's. Uh, the best way I could describe how the, the purpose is to, to, to facilitate our investment in renewable power projects. Uh, in order to do that, there will be some other uh, contracting that will go in, on in the market to facilitate that. Okay, well, that makes sense. And then just moving over to uh, offshore wind, um, I'm not sure whether I'm reading it right, but in terms of the uh, unpaid curtailment, that was about like 7%, so 7 to 8% of North C1 and Debu. Does that mean that um, German power prices were negative for seven to eight percent of the time, or more than negative for seven like eight percent of the time? Or uh, I, I don't know if that's actually uh, correct. I mean, basically, it, 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 the way it works is it, it's a, it, if in the day ahead market, 
there's going to be negative pricing for more than six hours. At that point, uh, we were vulnerable to uh, we would not be compensated for that curtailment. If it's less than six hours, then we are compensated. So I'm not, but have to we, we can check and get back to you on the math on that how that works out. Um, uh, the um, uh, I can say that I mean there, there was a there was certainly uh, the issue with uh, demand reduction through March with the lockdown, uh, but there was also uh, uh, just meteorologically there was a. A uh, combination of uh, a lot of sunshine, as you saw in in uh, northern Europe, or you may have noted in northern Europe, uh, uh, combined with high winds, which is actually an unusual combination. Usually, if you get a, a high pressure system, there's low winds and a lot of sunshine. So you had a lot of solar production, a lot of wind production, a drop in demand, and you also had warm temperatures, which also meant that uh, uh, there was uh, less demand on on gas. So gas prices were also low, which uh, which inevitably works its way through into the power price in, in Northern Europe. So it was a bit of a bit of a perfect storm uh, that uh, depressed uh, prices and created a supply-demand imbalance. Okay. Um, and then just one last question before I get back in the queue. Um, for Nord C1, uh, the Send Beyond uh, settlement, um, so it looks like uh, you received 58 million euros in settlement, but I presume you have to self-perform everything. Um, could you just talk about the cost of self-performing and like, is this like, are there short-term savings, but potentially you're kind of taking on more longer-term risks? Yes. So we received the 58 million, um, and then in the MDNA we also disclosed that we expect 20 million of ongoing um, higher operating costs. So the residual will be amortized uh, through free cash flow, and that's how we're. Um, accounting for the, the uh, receipt of the payment over nine years. Got it. So net net, it's roughly thirty million positive or benefit. That's correct. Thirty-eight million. Yes. Okay. Great. Thanks for that. I'll get back to you. Your next question comes from the line of Mark Jarby with CIBC Capital Markets. Good morning, everyone. Uh, welcome, Pauline, and all the best, Paul, on, on, on your new uh, adventures. Um, so maybe just on out where you're going to put in the whole code debt, um, there's still some amount, I would say, on the bridge, but you're also carrying a little higher balance on the revolver. So once you put the permanent financing in, do you free up more corporate uh, liquidity? Yes, that's correct. So uh, we currently have bridge financing in place, and the hold co-financing will be used to to pay down the bridge facility. Is the hold co going to be greater than what's left on the bridge, and therefore do you pay down a bit more on your revolver? Um, at this time, I I don't think we are um, anticipating uh, to. Uh, have any excess amount. However, um, we are still working through the financing, and I would say that it is going well. And uh, okay. we look forward to making progress on that over the next couple of months. Yeah, and I'll just add that basically the corporate financing also depends on what's coming up next. So really the bridge will, it, all else being equal, if nothing happened, then there's going to be some bridge paid off with the corporate line. But going forward, uh, whatever our next financing tends to be, we'll probably mop up any of the the details that are there, so yeah, it's it's uh, somewhat fungible. Okay, 
And then given where you stand now with, with cash and, and available uh, credit facilities, do you, do you want to hold on to a little higher balance given some of the uncertainty around the world right now, or, or would you be willing to put capital work in the near term here uh, if the right opportunity came? Uh, I mean, we're certainly always, uh, I mean, one of the advantages that we have right now is, is that we do have sufficient liquidity to move on uh, attractive development opportunities. So that is something that we're, as I said earlier, very much attuned to, and we're looking for opportunities that may be present, present now that were not present two months ago. Okay. And then in the MDNA talks a little bit about supply chain um, constraints in Taiwan given COVID pandemic. Just maybe what's the nature of that, and does it actually have any financial implications? No, I mean, I, th I think the, uh, the, the, the most... Uh, the impact of supply chain constraints in Taiwan right now uh, are more related to the projects that are under construction. So, uh, while we didn't, you know, plan to have a 24-25 interconnection date on our, our projects, it was, it was what happened in the, through the process, obviously, and then as we, we, we submitted, that's how it worked out. Uh, but looking at the situation now, uh, I think we're feeling much better uh, that we're going to construction uh, in 2022, uh, as opposed to being in construction now. Uh, as you know, Taiwan is probably one of two countries in the world that have managed the COVID situation so far the best. Uh, and uh, the economy never went into lockdown in uh, in Taiwan, and it has functioned very well, and they've controlled any uh, any outbreaks uh, that, that occurred early in January very, very well. Uh, so in terms of our activities, uh, the, there has been no material impact, uh, as most of our activities are, are related to uh, engineering, planning, uh, procurement, uh, and with some uh, work happening in the next few months to do further geotechnical investigations offshore, but we don't anticipate those being materially impacted. Okay, that's good to hear. And then my last question is on efforts to grow the onshore renewable business. There's reports about you guys looking at some U.S. wind projects. You've also in the past talked about northern Europe. Um, any updated views on which one of those markets could be the, sort of the next opportunity uh, for onshore renewables? Yeah, I'll turn that over to David. Yeah, uh, thanks. Uh, Mike, yeah, good, good question. Um, my answer is, is, is both. I, I don't think I want to decide which one's going to be more attractive than the other. Um, yes, uh, some successes in, in the U.S., and I think that's uh, a market we see further opportunities to pursue. Um, and in Europe, um, we've got a number of projects which the team in London is pursuing at the moment, so hopefully more news on that uh, coming up in the next sort of uh, six months or so. So I think both those markets provide good opportunities for uh, for onshore wind, I think, was your specific question. Okay, great. Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of Rupert Murray with National Bank. Well, good morning, everyone. I'll echo my uh, congratulations to Pauline and Paul. So looking at the, uh, the Nakun wind project, I believe one of your large European peers was engaged in the project for some time. Um, do you know why they weren't interested, and, and can you give some color on the progress in that project over the last, uh, say, 18 months that would make it make it more attractive? Uh, for sure. Thanks, Rupert. So, um, as you point out, uh, 
Orsted, uh, and our, ourselves uh, from time to time, they're, they're much larger, but often we now bump up against each other in uh, offshore wind projects. Uh, at the time that they abandoned their involvement in Nikoon, which was which was public, uh, they uh, had also at that time secured uh, or acquired deep water wind in the northeast of the U.S. So I can't speak to obviously what their motivations are and what, why they make decisions, um, but the, that was a significant acquisition for them. Uh, and uh, and I would imagine that a lot of the personnel that were doing North American offshore wind uh, uh, refocused uh, into the northeast of the U.S., uh, which had some very imminent deadlines in terms of construction and in-service dates on uh, on the portfolio that they acquired from, uh, when they got deep water wind. So. Uh, our view on uh, uh, Nikoon is, is perhaps a bit different uh, than, than Orsted. Um, Northland uh, has developed, uh, undertook development activities in, in, in British Columbia. Previously, I've uh, developed and financed and constructed a, uh, an offshore wind project uh, north tip of Vancouver Island prior to joining Northland. Uh, so uh, collectively, we've got a I think pretty good understanding of what it will take to build a project uh, in British Columbia, which, uh, as you probably know, is, is quite different from the rest of Canada. Once you get west of the Rockies, uh, you're into a different environment in terms of uh, uh, First Nations, where a lot of those uh, First Nations do not have uh, uh, are operating outside of treaties with the, the government of Canada. So it, uh, it's a very different uh, relationship in, in uh, west of the Rockies and requires a different approach to project development. So uh, our view, as we said in the release, is that this uh, project uh, will only move forward uh, in concert with Haida uh, Nation, and uh, that's our, our first priority in terms of uh, advancing that project is uh, developing that relationship and building that trust. With, with what you know about the strong winds there and the conditions of the seabed, how, how much like the North Sea is this? Is there anything you'd need to do significantly different from what you've done in the past? No, it, it's technically an excellent site. I mean, it, uh, uh, I think the water depths are, are somewhat less than the nor, nor, uh, than uh, in the North Sea. Uh, geotechnical or seabed conditions are as good or, or better. Uh, wind speeds are comparable, if not slightly better. Uh, so it's an excellent technical site, a uh, uh, bit more complexity in terms of the transmission line once you uh, uh, come on shore, but otherwise it's, uh, it's, it's a very good technical site. Uh, so that is uh, what has, uh, over the years, drawn a lot of attention to that project. Um, but as I said, uh, that's not the, the, uh, the key factor in advancing that project. Uh, uh, as with any renewable power project or any significant infrastructure project in British Columbia, uh, the first priority has to be working with the local communities and, in particular, uh, the uh, First Nation in whose traditional territory the project will be. I agree. Thank you. Uh, secondly, on, on Columbia, you've now got uh, close to, a, I guess you have a quarter under your belt. Uh, any surprises there or any refinements to your strategy and you talk about what your your next steps could be uh, in Colombia and does the, uh, the COVID situation uh, impact your your strategy there at all yeah uh, no, no surprises I mean the the uh, uh, 
EPSA has performed as expected. Uh, we had a very uh, positive view of the, the management team going into it from our diligence process, and that has only been confirmed by uh, working with them over the last few months. Uh, I think the, we're, we're digging in a bit deeper with them, looking at growth opportunities uh, beyond uh, EPSA's current platform, and that uh, is moving along well. So, I mean, I, I don't know if that's a surprise, but that is certainly encouraging for us. Uh, but uh, that's about it. There's no uh, material impacts with respect to, to COVID uh, on, uh, on, on EPSA. The only thing to note is that the uh, CRAG or the regulatory approval on the uh, appeal on the uh, on the the filing is uh, uh, is uh, delayed roughly we think two months or three months from what it would have been otherwise simply because uh, uh, the government uh, has been uh, uh, working for, all the civil servants have been working from home so there's been a bit of a delay there but that's the only material impact in terms of COVID-19 and, and the government has taken some proactive steps to ensure liquidity in the uh, utilities in, in Columbia as well, so there's uh, there's been no real concern in that regard either. So very good. Thanks very much. Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of Ben Pham with BMO Capital Markets. Okay, thanks. Good morning. Uh, I wanted to go back to the, the Canadian uh, project that uh, that was discussed with Rupert, and and what are your thoughts on the ultimate counterparty on, on that? Because I think, I think BC Hydro was was backing at at one point that that's not happening anymore, and and so is is this really setting up for RFPs at some point in time, or you look at corporate purchasers or or some other avenue? Yeah, and to be clear, I mean we're not in a we're not in a huge hurry on this project. We'll uh, move the project forward as uh, market conditions uh, demonstrate its viability, and we'll obviously try and encourage that. Uh, the Two options are either uh, an offtake agreement with uh, BC Hydro, or uh, a offtake agreement with uh, industrial load in that area, which uh, would be a bit more complicated and may involve uh, sleeve through BC Hydro, uh, and that's dependent on the de development of LNG projects in the north uh, northwest of British Columbia. So those are really the two two different options for for offtake for for that project moving forward. Okay. Um, can can I go to some of the commentary on on the the pricing impacts in in Europe? And can you confirm is is the EBITDA hit you guys are are taking there or experiencing it? Is is that that seems to be greater than expected because of COVID nineteen? Is that is that correct? Yes. Okay. In terms of right. the, the impact of negative pricing, yes. Okay, and, and and I guess it seems like you, you, in terms of above average resources, I mean, it looks like there's probably at least 30 million in, in the bag that that you've you've benefited from above average resources, and so you you look at that and you look at the price impact. That's that's really that's what gives you confidence in your your numbers for this year. That's the right way to look at it, Ben. Okay, all right. Okay, maybe I can um, maybe just a question for for Pauline and and just just looking at your your real estate experience and, and your time there and a lot of similarities obviously in, in that, that business and what you're seeing the power business with respect to AFFO and distributable cash flow and developing assets and creating 
value there. And, and so my, my question, I'm more curious, as you, you've gone into the Northland side of things, looked at um, the folks and, and whatnot, are you, do you see anything that looks interesting from just the conservatism and, and the payout ratio? Is it conservative or, or aggressive, winning with the balance sheet and returns? And, and how do you think about how they look at um, international risk reward? Um, hi, Ben. Um, uh, nice to uh, speak to you again after some years. Um, so I think what struck me, I'll start first with what struck me about uh, joining the company uh, prior to being at Northland was that it is um, a very successful uh, company, uh, one that has you know, transitioned from a successful Canadian company to a successful global company um, with, you know, a really strong track record of delivering solid returns to shareholders while achieving growth. Um, now that I am here, um, you know, I can uh, get a better feel for the sense of the operating team and the strength in the operations, which I think is, is really critical to future success of the company um, and, you know, a strong balance sheet and one that um, that I am, you know, inheriting from Paul, but, you know, already working on to improve and to, you know, improve our liquidity and the strength of our balance sheet to continue to pursue growth opportunities uh, on a global level. Um, I think similar to uh, my past is, you know, Northland is now transitioning to become a development company, um, and a lot of the growth will be future-oriented, um, you know, combined with near-term accretive opportunities, so it's always uh, a matter of balancing both, um, but I am certainly excited about the challenges ahead and, uh, you know, um, engaging in a business that is pursuing uh, both operating assets and developments. Um, in, in various jurisdictions that, that we have or building some strategic advantage in. Long answer to your question, but I hope that answers it. And I, I might just chime in here. It's Paul. Uh, ben, geez, throw a hardball on the first <laughs> first call. She's uh, uh, t still, um, you know, just give her some time to uh, kind of mold in. But I, what, I, what I will tell you is I've been hugely impressed by how quickly she's come up the curve and just how – extraordinarily she's going to fit in here at Northland. I mean, I, you know, you never really know, uh, but I, I tell you, uh, in the last six weeks I've been convinced, and I'm leaving here today is my last day with uh, zero worry that she isn't going to be extraordinary in the position. So, uh, yeah, fair, good good question, Ben, bit of a hardball, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I have no doubt that she's going to take uh, to take Northland to the next level. All right, that's, that, that, that's great, and, and uh, I was hoping it wasn't a hardball, but, uh, uh, Apologize about you. You know I wasn't gonna let this one go easy. All right. Uh, okay. Well, thanks, sir. Especially with, with you taking off there, Paul, and and, and uh, um, congrats again and, and welcome, Pauline. Thank, Thank you. you. Our next question comes from Maji Badung with Industrial Alliance. Hi. Good morning. Um, can we uh, just get your thoughts on uh, the recent increase in Germany's offshore wind target for uh, for 2030? Does this development have any implications for your strategy in that market? Certainly, we have a, a large presence in, in Hamburg and in northern Germany, so uh, any further opportunity is, is, is positive. Further growth in offshore wind is positive for us in general. It may create more opportunities. I think you, you know that we have uh, expansion rights on 
uh, Nord Sea 1 in terms of Nord Sea 2 and 3. Uh, which we're, we're pursuing, uh, and uh, so we'll see how it develops. The, uh, the the one thing I would note, though, is that there is, uh, at the same time that they're proposing more offshore wind in northern Germany, uh, there is also transmission enhancements being uh, planned and implemented in Germany uh, to facilitate the movement of power from the north to the south, and the south being where a lot of the industrial load is. Uh, as well, there's a, a schedule over the next, uh, I think, 15 years to gradually decommission uh, the uh, coal generation facilities in, in Germany as well. So there's a lot of uh, moving parts as uh, some new generation comes online and other generation is taken offline and as the system also becomes more efficient as well, the grid becomes more efficient. Okay, appreciate, uh, appreciate that. And um, maybe just... Uh... Now that you've completed the uh, the Dabu uh, project, can you give us your uh, latest thoughts on the dividend policy and the, the dividend payout? Uh, so that is obviously the purview of of the board, as as, as you know. Uh, but there is uh, there's no uh, change in uh, what we've uh, disclosed uh, previously in terms of dividend policy. Okay, thank you, and uh, congrats for uh, to Pauline and Paul. Mr. Crawley, there are no further questions at this time. I will now turn the call back to you. Okay. Well, I was going to thank everyone for joining us today, but I was going to go slightly off script. And just uh, since it's Paul's last uh, call with Northland, it's actually Paul's last day at Northland today, uh, I did want to invite him to say a couple of words since uh, he's worked closely with uh, many of the people on the line. Yeah, thank you, Mike. And uh, I, I want to thank everybody on the call and beyond the call for your long-term interest in support in Northam Power. Uh, you know, you guys, are, by definition, have to be tough on us, and that's all fair, but I, what I will say is that you've always been fair, and you've always listened, and you've always uh, really respected just the complications that it takes to run a business, and I want to thank all of you for that. And as I said earlier, and, and repeating it, because I, I do feel strongly that, uh, you know, Mike and the board and and others really found a winner in Pauline and uh, you know I, some of just the depth of the conversations we've had over the last six weeks and just getting into uh, nuances that Pauline picked up way sooner than I would have ever expected um, has really given me a lot of uh, warm comfort that uh, you know as I I will remain a stakeholder in Northland for a very long time to come and uh, and I'm just really thankful that it's in in great hands and so. You know, congratulations to Pauline, and I, I know she's going to do fantastic, and I know Mike will continue to run this company uh, just as in the same high-quality manner that he has, and uh, I know I'll be seeing most of you uh, out and about. I'm not sort of hanging up the skates totally. I'm sort of hanging one of them up, not both. <clears throat> so I will probably run into most of you somewhere along the way in my travels. Thank you. Okay. Thanks, Paul. We will hold our next call following the release of our second quarter 2020 results in August. In the meantime, I want to thank you for your continued confidence and support. Take care. Ladies and gentlemen, that does conclude the conference call for today. Thank you for participating and have a pleasant day. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.